Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. So if, if the enemy can't prevent you from being saved, what does he want to do? His ultimate plan is to cripple you, to make you ineffective. So we can't fulfill the mandate of who we are in Christ. You know, the destiny that God has created us to do, to influence in our sphere of time and, and, and location. It's, it's a tactic that he uses very effectively to cripple the church. And it's like the scripture says, it's a form of godliness, but there's no power. Until we're free, that's when that's when you ha- when there's freedom, then there's power. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. This week we're going to discuss how the financial system is created to enslave and cripple us, and how in many ways Satan's plan is to cripple and render ineffective the life of the believer. It's just a continuation of that same old enslavement that began way back in Genesis 6 with the Nephilim, the Nephilim agenda to subjugate humanity and challenge the authority of the believer, the authority of God in the world. I thought it would be good to just kind of digest some of the things we've talked about the last few weeks, because some of it's kind of heavy, um, talking about um, spiritual mapping that... uh, Dr. Laura talks about um, Tim Bentz with gatekeeping principle, which I think there's some correlation to those to those two things. And then a little bit about like the Fed monetary policy, because, you know, that was the that was one of the central things about Tim Bentz's testimony was dealing with that Canaanite altar um at the birthplace of the Federal Reserve that Rockefeller actually built his house right on top of this blood sacrifice altar. And and then maybe maybe a little bit we could talk about debt and how that's related to slavery because in the second half of Tim's interview with Rob Skiba, he talks about how, well, one of the things he said that God showed him or told him was that he said, I'm going to deal with um, 
the debt system in your country, the banking system in the U.S., like I dealt with slavery in the Civil War. So that's that's at least an anecdote or or one isolated example that's to say, hey, this is kind of how God thinks of it, or at least that's what Tim believes he heard from the Lord. So thinking of it as slavery. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, one of the interviews with uh, Dr. Laura Sanger, she said that there is a history of slavery on Jekyll Island. So well before the Federal Reserve, I think this was in the, I want to say it was the 1700s, but it might have been before that. But that was one of the first places that uh, slaves were brought over. So it's just interesting that has a a tie to what was eventually birthed there. Well, if you want to touch on current events, uh, I don't know if you've seen it in the news. It was breaking news yesterday. I think it's like uh, around the 17th or 19th largest bank in the U.S. went belly up, $150 billion in assets. Is that the um, v- Valley Silicon? What was the name of that one? Sil- Silicon Valley Bank. That's the largest in the country? I said 17th. Oh, 17th largest. Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> 17th or 19th, something like that. Yeah, wow. they went belly up. Um, so, and that's that's the 150 billion. I think is assets on their balance sheet. I don't. Then you got a lot of uh, companies struggling to pay payroll. Oh yeah, and they had lines of credit with them, um, and even a uh, uh, circle. USDC with the crypto. Yeah, it's depaid. They've got their um, their assets that they, you know, it's supposed to be dollar for dollar, um, and they hold that in reserve. I saw on Twitter yesterday that uh, their assets that are held as reserve are spread between like seven or eight different banks. Well, 25% of the assets was in that bank. That's part of the reason why they're going some, through some turmoil as well. Yeah, I just saw that on Twitter this morning about, I don't know what it is now, but yeah, USDC was at like 90 cents instead of, a you know, dollar for dollar. So it's just... Wow. Well, we... The, de- the, the debt system, you know, that we're in here in the United States. So you bring up what Tim Benson talking about 2008, 2009, and it was almost like in judgment, but did we learn any lessons? No, no. You know, he's still this mess of fractional reserve banking and yeah, you know, all this type of stuff. Well, so they they have no choice but to double down on the system. Right. I mean, I think we talked about it off air last week is that the national debt is what it is because it's an inflationary system. It, it can never be paid off. And that's by nature of how it works. So when, when the Federal Reserve System was enacted in 1913, they are creating dollars, but then being owed back to the banking cartel with interest. So if you create a dollar, you owe, I believe it's actually like a flat 6%. So you owe a dollar six. Well, where do you get that six cents? Well, they loan you another dollar. Okay, well, great. Now you can pay the interest on that, but now you owe another 6% on that second dollar, and on it goes. And so the whole system requires inflation. 
and it can never be deflated or the whole thing crumbles. But you're right, we're seeing the, the stress fractures. One thing that I've heard recently, and I, I just I don't know much about it at all, is uh, I've heard something being talked about is the Great Reset. Yeah. What what does that mean? Does anybody here have an idea about that? Um, I think that's a term. I forget. Gosh, what is the... I think it starts with an F. There's some monetary policy worldwide um, kind of dictate that says that, yeah, they want to create this reset. Eh, let's Let's just look it up real quick. We can get the. Uh... I, I'm throwing this out here just as a guess because yeah. I haven't researched it. But as we already know, we kind of touched on it. The monetary system, the Federal Reserve, the central bank model that in our country, the U.S., has been enacted since 1913, and it's robbing, it's robbing the, the future generations. What is the average owed per citizen? You know, our children's children's children are going to have to, I think right now, at current, what, $31 trillion owed to the Federal Reserve, or the, the debt, is like, I think each citizen owes like 200000 each or something, if you were to break it down. So we, we got this mess, and then other countries adopted the same type of uh, system, which it profits... It profits the government, it profits the banks, the central banks um, that are issuing all this debt. They print money. And it's in, in my mind, the great reset is this experiment or this purposed method to enrich themselves is coming to the end of its life cycle. Right. So, yeah, the reset is. We're going to squeeze the last little drop out of this thing before we reset the system to our benefit and we go to a totally different monetary system, which it seems to be a digital currency. China's working on it. Europe's working on it. Even the U.S. is looking at a digital version. But it's going to be more, ens more enslavement, you think? Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna give us more freedom with it. Um, okay, so this is the the F I was thinking of is forum, so World Economic Forum, and this is from their website. To improve the state of the world, the World Economic Forum is starting the Great Reset Initiative. Um, and Luke, you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you've heard differently, but I think. This also has to do with some of these world leaders proposing that we don't own anything, that we rent everything, that the ownership is in the hands of the few. So everything from our, you know, cars, houses, material goods, like that's their plan is that we don't own a thing. Um, so... Yeah, how did we get here? Let's let's briefly touch on kind of monetary policy and and how that was rolled out the last couple hundred years in our country in particular. So we used to have a gold standard. You used to be able to go to a bank in say the late 1800s and if and if you had a certificate, a a $5 certificate, a $20 certificate, you could exchange it and get a $5 gold piece, a $20 gold piece. Um, 
And then, of course, we have the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. And you can you can look this up like just the um, the stability of the purchasing power of the dollar so stable in the in the eighteen hundreds right and then and then you see the devaluation starting once uh, the government gave away its constitutional uh, authority to control the printing of money and this is something that jefferson was warring against because the the banks tried to do this in the 1800s they tried to have that kind of monopoly and and he was fighting against that and let me interject yeah. for for the the listeners mm-hmm. uh, that want more information the creature from jekyll island you remember the author's name yeah g edward griffin so that that is a good historical reference to what you're talking about all the details the different attempts for them to create a central bank here in the united states it was failed it was failed the people did not want it right so they had to go through this process on jekyll island um and even deceiving the public with the title federal reserve it's not federal and it's not a reserve yeah there's no reserves and it's it's outside of the government. It's a banking cartel. Yeah, that's an excellent resource. And uh, I think Luke, you said on Audible, it's like twenty four hours of of uh, of audio to listen to. It is. Yeah, it's it's a big book, but uh, the audio version is it's it's an easy listen. You know, it, it's it's captivating. Yes. Well, and that's that's a fast way to get through a big book too, is by audio. I, me and. Don, we, we love that. And so if anybody has never tried Audible, they give you two credits for two books, like right off the bat, just just for trying it out. So that would be an excellent one. Yeah, um, so so that was created, and I think it's no surprise that World War I happened a few years after, because that's one of the big ways that the elites profit is through war, you know, funding ammunition on both sides, basically. And then, um, so that system, it it was still gold-backed, but now you had more dollars out there chasing the same amount of gold. So FDR in 1933 saw that this was a problem, and he said... Regular citizens can't own gold. And uh, I think it was limited to like $100 and then some, you know, coins that had rare numismatic value you were able to keep. But otherwise, you were supposed to turn in your gold by law. And I think only like 40% of the gold that was estimated out there actually made it to the government. But so he made people turn it in for, I believe it was $20 an ounce. I could be wrong. And then shortly thereafter, I forget exactly how long after, he immediately devalued it and said that the new value was going to be something different. Um, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was like a 40% devaluation just immediately. So the government right there just stole that amount, amount of purchasing power from people. Um, okay, and so then... Uh, right around World War II time in 1944, 
the uh, world powers created the Bretton Woods system. And that and so that what that did was it took away the ability for the average citizen to go to the bank with a gold or silver certificate and redeem it for the physical metal for the actual coins. So now the only ones that could do that were foreign countries, foreign governments. So, you know, France, Germany, all these countries were able to uh, trade their U.S. dollars and get physical gold. Um, Well, that only, you know, put a Band-Aid on the problem. So that system lasted from 1944 until 1971, and some people blame Nixon for taking us off the gold standard in 1971, but he had no choice because I think France and, and in particular, if I remember correct, um, they were just like hand over fist trading their dollars for gold. And so our gold reserves in Fort Knox or wherever else we had it uh, was rapidly depleting. And Nixon recognized this and had to put a stop to it. And so from that point on, we had a uh, a fiat, which is by government decree system. And then all of the world's currencies, so it used to be the Bretton Woods system, all the world's currencies were pegged to the U.S. dollar, which was pegged to gold. And then once Nixon took us off of that standard, now all the world's currencies float against the U.S. dollar, which is backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. So there's nothing backing it other than our ability to pay our debts, which is, which is our income tax system. Say that again. Full faith of, of what? Full faith and credit. Yeah, of the U.S. government, which, again, what was the Federal Reserve System created upon? It's the taxpayers. So we are the ones that are the source of revenue to back that up. Correct. So when you, when someone puts trust in the U.S. government for the debt, it's their ability to tax its citizens that is what it's the triple down effect right enslavement yep yep so then you really saw uh the value of precious metals and the u.s dollar decouple in the 70s and if you guys remember you know gold hitting an all-time high silver hitting an all-time high around 79 or 80 um and then oil prices in the 70s, all these things really started to fluctuate because, you know, the what, what at least held back that inflation was gold. And now that was, it wasn't even foreign countries could redeem in gold. Now it was free floating. So we've been under that system since 71. And yeah, like you were saying, Luke, it's just been a a patchwork to keep it going as long as they can uh, until the whole thing implodes. But that whole system again is is a demonic, evil system of slavery that you know, even as recent as the you know fifties or whatever, you had a single earner household who could have vacation every year, two cars, decent house, and mom mom got to stay home with the kids. And um, 
pretty pretty comfy lifestyle. Got you know, dad might work at the same factory for forty, fifty years, whatever. And now you just look at like how much we have to work just to scrape by and live paycheck to paycheck. You know, this is all a result of this inflation debt system. And so the like, you know, you'll you'll hear the Federal Reserve say, you know, our job is to control inflation. So they want inflation, they just don't want it really fast. But it's built into the system that it'll it'll happen every year. But that's that's theft. And even even the inca- income tax system when it was originally proposed in um the, uh, after the the Federal Reserve system was enacted it was meant to be like the top i don't know 1% of earners so i was never supposed to touch people like us in middle class and then just gradually <laughs> like government does once it opens the door then it just grows and grows and grows so yeah that's the, that's the system we're under and um that's why it's so fascinating to see or to hear uh tim bence's testimony on that and the how it all ties back to genesis 6 is so crazy like i I think we've we've at least implied it on our show here that that is a central theme or or paradigm to what we try to talk about is the sin of the watchers in genesis 6 the nephilim how that infiltrated and corrupted the earth and here you have you know those that same bloodline bringing a new form of slavery well new as in dead but uh to the u.s and you know that's one thing too i want to i want to dig into at some point is um is the bloodlines this what uh fritz uh Schermacher, oh God, Springmeyer, Fritz Springmeyer's book, um, Bloodlines of the Illuminati, talking about um, that evil genetic line that that the elite tries to keep intact. You know, the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, all of that, the Morgans, uh, Warburg, um, and Dr. Laura mentions that too. I don't, I don't know if I have the notes in front of me. Um. Yeah, she okay, she she goes into uh so Esau, Jacob and Esau um from Esau became the Edomites and she says that that's actually genetically connected to the Rothschilds and the Warburgs which is crazy. But again, this is this is what we're talking about, right? Canaanites in you know, North America dispersed there, who knows when, but, you know, Joshua and company were were wiping out the giants, and a lot of them fled. Some fled to Germany, some went overseas, and this is what we're talking about, and Rockefeller building his house on top of one of these blood sacrifice altars. You guys remember the the museum director there at Jekyll Island with the painting on the wall of a chief with holding up a baby by its ankles with a, with a, you know, a machete type ready to hack away. And it's like, this is the type of evil that created our monetary system that we have. Whew, it's heavy stuff. 
Yeah, so that's why it's, I think it's so fascinating about spiritual mapping that um, Dr. Laura has learned a great deal about from those that have uh, gone before. And I think it was George Otis Jr. that she references his book as coining that term of how the land is actually affected by um, these different uh, defilements that she mentions. And, um, wow, in in her seven-part series on YouTube talking about spiritual mapping, she brings up verses in the Old Testament that I, I never even considered where God talks about the land, the land, the land, and how... And we just kind of think that's figurative. Like, okay, yes, you just mean that, you know, there there's evil being run amok over this area. But there's actually, like, it seems like a spiritual law at work. Well, look at the original um, judgment on Adam and Eve. One of the judgments affected the land where it wasn't fruitful. So it was the literal land where he would harvest crops. And then there was, then there was the infiltration of weeds and thistles and all the things that you don't want when you're trying to cultivate food. So even in the very beginning and that uh, initial sin through the generations, and then you got like Genesis six stuff, just making things worse. You know, it, it's a curse on the land. Yeah. Uh, we were just watching, um, uh, based on a true story movie last night, uh, Till, about um, the African-American mother whose 14-year-old son went down to see his cousins in Mississippi and got himself into trouble inadvertently and <clears throat> was killed. And her work after that event uh, helped lead to the Civil Rights Act. But I I probably, I'm sure, I would not have thought of that movie and those events in the same way, you know, six months ago, three months ago. Because I think about the level of hate that these gentlemen had. I shouldn't say gentlemen. That these awful white guys had, okay? That's what they were. You know, they, they barge into... Um, where this boy was staying with his his extended family in the middle of the night with flashlights and guns and kidnap him and eventually kill him. And there is, it's not just human evil, right? It's not just our racism or our hatred or whatever that that brings these things about. Like there is when it's perpetuated. So when you have, you know, lynchings or things like that going on where those things are actually carried out, that's one of those four chief areas of defilement. There's broken covenants, um, sexual sins, um, idolatry and bloodshed. Those are the four chief areas of, of defilement on the land. And I have to believe that there is a, a stirring up of evil power uh, that affects human activity, what we do, because of 
you know, a lynching happened, and then unless that's cleansed and repented from, further action. And and even in the movie, they had just talked about uh, two people in the news from that area of Mississippi had just been lynched, like, I think it was just within weeks of when it happened to this boy. Um, and that's that's some things that's really eye-opening. You know, Dr. Laura shares a, a story of going into a school that had a bunch of suicides. And there was just a... She, she has a, a unique group of people she's been able to assemble that are very sensitive to spiritual things. And walking into the school... I mean, you guys have to listen to this. This is, this is in her seven-part series on YouTube. But some of the people could sense by touching the walls that there were watcher spirits moving back and forth in the walls. And there, the mascot was a, a silver wolf, and they had these two big silver wolves on the, on the, right in the entrance on the wall there for the mascot. And there was a sense that those were inhabited by a spirit. And they went into the teacher's lounge, and they sensed that there was actually a portal, a gateway of demonic activity in there, and that it was, they were able to discern that some of the teachers would, it would overlook the cafeteria, and they would, they would pick out students that they wanted to mess with, to, you know, just to, just to pick on. Um, so these things reverberate in our society, and, um, so yeah, thinking of that movie, <laughs> I think of those <clears throat> those atrocities that happen and you go, "Wow, how is Satan and his minions just having free reign when we let those things continue and we don't repent from them?" Oh, and here's another thought on that too. So tying that to the gatekeeping principle, if you have believers, Christians, in that time period, who are harboring discrimination or hate in their heart, what did what did Tim share about that? That that releases a spirit of murder in your city. So it makes me wonder. You know, culturally, there were probably a lot of Christians who didn't have a problem with discrimination; thought it was normal and okay, whatever right? They justified it. You could probably say the same thing in the Civil War. There were people in the South who were good Bible-believing Christians who thought there's nothing wrong with slavery. Their their restraint of that, they would never lynch someone, right? But the gatekeeping principle is that they're releasing that into the land. So now you have people without the Holy Spirit's restraint who are going to actually carry out that. Wow. I think you're spot on, Pete. Um, I think that's extremely accurate. And uh, it, there's a lot of examples through history. And um, yeah, it's when, when you start opening your eyes to what's what the root cause of all this is and how it leads up to present day situation, whether it's the Federal Reserve or school situations and stuff like that, there. I don't know. It's like the light bulb comes on and you, you you see with new eyes, almost like a Rosetta Stone type of moment. You know, it's the key part that just makes everything make sense. 
before before I had heard anything about gateways or gatekeeping or anything like that, um, back in 2021, um, as an investigator, I was uh, I was at a house where someone had been you know murdered, and uh, I was right on the spot of of where it happened, and we were of course combing through things looking for evidence. And it literally came to my mind. I looked over at my partner. I said, this is the gate to hell. And it just, it came to me. And just even saying that brings kind of a a weird feeling to me. And, um, you know, I'm not, I mean, in, around the room itself, you know, leading up to this horrible spot, you know, flies and bugs of all kind. And it, it's it's almost like, well, and it, it and it happened. I mean, the the things co- were coming from that area, and uh, you know, obviously, you have to have a a fly land on something first and lay eggs. But all these pieces of corruption came from there. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, and this is something I was thinking about this week, is: Are we gatekeepers in our house? Do we see our kids do something and let it go? Or do we allow certain things into our house that we know Christ wouldn't approve of and let it go? And what is that doing? What what kind of sin does that bring in? Uh, and and sometimes I think one of the sins that, that we Christians can carry with us is a spiritual dryness that's caused by our own ineptitude towards what we should be focusing on. Hmm. Yeah. I think so. I think um, nothing is neutral, right? Like we're we're either we're either sliding back down the hill or we're climbing up, moving forward. We we're not. Nothing is static or stagnant. We don't we don't just get to be neutral. Um, you know, I, I think of even Jesus not being able to do miracles in certain towns because of unbelief like here is god himself limiting himself because of our free will in in some cosmic way he decides that i'm only going to operate under these principles and yeah it's like if we're allowing things in our heart or mind or our family what how does that affect the spiritual condition how does that create more problems how does that affect our community um yeah it's a big motivation for <laughs> just getting right with god and and not seeking power to you know be this great warrior of god but as a as a willing you know cracked clay pot vessel to be filled by him. Well, and, and I and I I think that's where the Pharisees get kind of a bum rap because when they all came back from the captivities, they knew that the reason that the captivities happened was because of uh, the lawlessness of the of uh, Israel, and it's it's an opinion of mine that they just they took a a, a stance of okay we are going to be holy, and and we're going to teach this holiness um you know the walking on eggshells holiness and um 
I think that's maybe where the Pharisees, obviously, they went wrong because when Jesus came, he had uh, different viewpoints than them, which were obviously correct. Um, however, I can see how the Pharisees and the followers of the Pharisees would maybe feel that way to try to, you know, maintain their country. So in, in the sense of, like, trying to have things in order and in place and not be breaking the law, they took that to the extreme and then... That's, yeah, that's my thought. Anyway. ...formed the legalism that they felt like, ah, we're good as long as we do this stuff. We're, we're never going to fall into that. Right. And I, I think that... Um, I hate to use the word balance, but that's the best I can come up with. Yeah. Um, you know, we as Christians have to find uh, that place where we are living under grace, but, you know, but yet not one piece of the law is left out. So it's it's very difficult. Yeah, that is so key, balance, because, you know, as I'm learning more about what organic church life was in the New Testament, you know, I'm hearing from people who have been have been learning and teaching and doing this kind of thing today. Frank Viola is one, and then um, Neil Cole is another. And um, we're going to share with a, a group of people this afternoon a little bit about that. But um, what I've heard from them is when you come together, you know, you have all this baggage. So someone might come from a very conservative, cessationist kind of background another might come from a pentecostal charismatic background and they're going to butt heads and we kind of have to lay all that down and and say somewhere in the middle is most likely the truth um oftentimes it's in those extremes that we uh that we mess up and there's so there's some there's some truth on both sides and we have to be willing to lay down our traditions and experience and and find what that is so no that's a good point don i think the pharisees definitely had the right maybe motivation if we can say it that way but then it turned into something that was devoid of the heart that was all external right and and i and i i can kind of attest to going through this right now um, I'm on a I'm on a Bible reading plan for you know through the Bible in a year, and uh, I find myself just reading. Just got to read today. Got to get my reading done, and uh, that's not what God wants. No, but, but he but at the same time he wants me to read through the Bible. Yeah. So it's I. There's a value to that discipline and doing it when you don't feel like it. But yeah, how 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 do you maintain the freshness of it? I've I've struggled with that too. I'm not sure exactly the answer. I think, and just to go back to the ch traditional church model thing, like, isn't that sometimes what we experience? Is we, especially if we've grown up going to church our whole life, it does become very rote. And you could have the most powerful prayer or liturgy or whatever, but if you're saying every saying it every week, it kind of loses its power. It's like if you had this beautiful poem you wrote to your your wife and <laughs> you you read it to her for the first time on a saturday morning when she woke up it would be a magical moment but if you did it every day kind of like yeah okay honey thanks you can put that yep. away now yeah <laughs> yep 
I don't think God wants that from us. So that's uh, that's interesting. That ties into kind of what I'm trying to figure out is what does that authentic, organic assembly of Christians look like where we don't necessarily have a plan. It's not a service. You know, it's not going to have the same thing every week. I think part of that is um, is the simple act of surrender. What did Jesus do at the cross or before the cross at Garden of Gethsemane? He said it many times, but in that prayer, not my will, your will be done. So if we're if you're using the example of the, the Bible reading, um, you know, the simple act of, of surrender, of humility, of, of, of acknowledging where you're at, how it be, can become monotonous, and just simply asking the Lord, Holy Spirit, make this fresh. Or whether it's a, a gathering of believers, so it's not mundane and it's just the same repetitive thing, just the simple act of surrendering and asking the Holy Spirit, have your way, lead us, guide us, be fresh to us, bring a fresh new Ramos, you know, word. Some bring only you can bring life. I think there's a scripture that Paul uh, is is quoting, um, or he says to one of the churches, and he's saying where the the letter killeth but the spirit makes alive. So it's without the breath of God on something, whether it's in us, on us, uh, in a body of believers the two, where two or more are gathered, I am in the midst and the surrender to, okay, Lord, I don't know what you want to do today, but if you don't want preaching to take place, I'm fine with that, you know? And we, you just want worship and you want to, us to minister to one another with prayer, I'm fine with that. However you want to move, we just want you to be here and breathe on us and give us something new. So I feel like the act of surrender and pausing and and trying to listen and just letting him lead you is a key first step. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah, and we can we can fill up our gatherings, just speaking again of the traditional sense, with so much agenda that God's spirit could be totally absent and we wouldn't even notice. And that's a scary thought. I think, uh, and that happened to Saul. Yeah. Saul, Saul, the King didn't realize when the, the anointing had left him, when the spirit of God had left him. And that's a dangerous place for a believer. And it doesn't mean you've lost salvation. It's just, you're out of the will of God because of your disobedience. And all it takes is a humble heart, repent, and 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 the surrender. Okay, Lord, get me back on track. And He's a merciful God. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Maybe let's let's see if we can switch gears just for a moment. And if and if this uh, goes nowhere, I can cut it out. But <laughs> I thought I thought it'd be good just because it's good for discussion to think about this idea of believers being able to be oppressed or possessed by demonic spirits. And some of it's my maybe semantics, right? So, okay, they can't be possessed, but they can be oppressed. Or, and again, I haven't looked it up 
scripturally to figure out the exact word, but I think the word in the Greek means demonized. So it just means afflicted by by demons. And um, I think another word um, that's, that's found in and the new uh, New King James and King James um, is is the word vexed. Vexed, yeah, so it's yeah. Not you brought full, that up last time. It's not, it, yeah. So it's not a like a full control, and you don't have. I mean, even the demon demoniac of uh, the Gadarenes. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, in, in the yeah in the uh, graveyard that's naked. Mm-hmm. There was still a part of him that that wanted help that wanted to be free so that was still there was still hope so you could say that he was fully possessed but i think any area that were were not fully surrendered is an avenue is a doorway where we can can struggle with addictions and be vexed that's just the way i've understood it and when you were saying uh, that there's always that little bit of hope that the person has, um, I think that's probably part of the sinister portion of it because if you were just fully possessed and didn't have any hope, then you wouldn't be tortured by what was possessing you. Oh, you'd be you'd be fully in line, and and then it wouldn't be like a, it wouldn't be like a bad thing. It'd be oh, like you'd just be in a different state. Want. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So if if the enemy can't prevents you from being saved. So if the core part of you has embraced the cross, is born again, what does he want to do? His ultimate plan is to cripple you, to make you ineffective, to make you a slave to different addictions and all these different things that affect our flesh and the soulish part of us. So we can't fulfill the mandate of who we are in Christ, you know, the destiny that God has created us to do, to influence in our sphere, you know, of time and, and, and location. So it's, it's a tactic that he uses very effectively to cripple the church. And it's like the scripture says, it's a form of godliness, but there's no power. Denying its power. And until, mm-hmm. until we're free, that's when that's when you ha- when there's freedom then there's power is what i'm seeing so speaking of the the balance that we were talking about earlier right so i'm just going to say my opinion what if one of the ways that that satan messes with believers is these extremes so kind of how like you were sharing and then i believed earlier in life too Christians can't have demons. So we kind of dogmatically cross that category out. You know, I I remember um, there was one Sunday a few months ago at, at uh, the church we were going to, and worship song was, you know, talking about, like most do, you know, just uh, God... Uh, working through our struggles, our storms of life, right? And and I still trust you, God. And and sure, it was great. It's you know faithful, uh, encouraging lyrics. But a part of me had this feeling: what if one of Satan's strategies in certain situations is to get us to feel like 
oh, God's just bringing me through a dry season. God's just taking me through this valley, this desert. You know, I, I my faith is being tested. And all that might be true. But sometimes there are deeper things going on that might be demonically related. And so we can we can potentially make the mistake of thinking, oh, this is just one of those rough seasons and he's trying to strengthen me. When if we had the knowledge of maybe what's going on, maybe what's in our family history, maybe like Dr. Laura says, there are geographic, you know, ley line issues in the area we're living that are actually affecting us. If we don't understand those things, we're just thinking, oh, God's just allowing this for, you know, all things working for good, which again is true. But there may be more that we are unnecessarily struggling with if if there's more going on. And I'm not saying there always is. Because again, if it's flesh, we have to deal with it with the flesh. But if it's if it's demonic, we can't crucify the flesh and deal with a demon. Yeah, and part of it, we, we perish for lack of knowledge. Part of it is the ignorance um, or just the theology that has been taught to us that, oh, you're Christian. So it's got to just automatically just removing that it can't be a vexation, a demon, a, a whatever. It's got to be something else. I don't think that's accurate because, I mean, I could give a testimony of my wife. She She has in her bloodline, aunts, uncles, even her own mother that were practicing pagan rituals. They were, they were witches. They're straight up witches. They were full of demons. And when she was born, the generational, she was vexed from the time she was conceived. And we know for a fact, her son, Sebastian, my stepson, is, was also attacked from conception as an infant. And these are generational issues. Okay. So she had that without choice. She didn't have a choice in the matter who her parents were or what the family tree was like. But she did have a choice later in life to accept Christ. So the core part of her accepted Christ and became born again. But she was still vexed and and hindered from growing in maturity because of all this baggage. So it wasn't until she got deliverance, got free from this stuff, that she could truly have joy, truly mature. And um, Dr. Michael Lake, his wife, Mary's got an amazing testimony. Um, uh, I think the book that she wrote was um, What Witches Don't Want Christians to Know, something like that. But she was attacked to the point where she couldn't even read the Bible. And there was a, a time of grace where God intervened and she had such clarity, such joy. The scriptures became alive. It was a short period of time, and then that it closed down. And she didn't understand what happened, Lord. But the Lord was trying to show her, like, you are being afflicted because of this generational stuff, because of the things that was done to you 
And you need to, of your own will and own effort, pursue me to get free of these things and to go on the offensive against the enemy. And it's like he, he gave her some motivation. Oh, this is what's possible. This is the wow. freedom that's possible. Let her have a taste and of it. Have her a little taste of it to motivate her and to motivate her husband to research and to find out how do we truly get free from this stuff? Yeah. I, I think of, uh, I think of Tim Benz, uh, saying when he went through that 10 or 12 year period of just almost constant spiritual battle. And at one point he said, um, he was praying about or something and, and he, he said, uh, wow, that, you know, the enemy must be really going after me because I'm, you know, doing your work, Lord. And, and God rebuked him and said, well, that's a pretty prideful thing to say that you think, you think what you're doing is, is drawing all this fire from the enemy. And it, and I've heard that before too. And it seemed to make sense that, well, yeah, I'm taking back territory for God. Therefore the enemy's attacking me. And it seems to make sense. But in, Tim's experience, what he felt God was telling him is, no, these things are attacking you because you have allowed areas of weakness in in the walls of your own city, in the in 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 the walls of your heart. You you have allowed these things in. That's why you're getting attacked, not because you're doing my work. Um. So it was doing God's work with those walls down, I think that is what Tim was trying to say, was why those attacks were happening. That's pretty eye-opening. I don't know, thoughts, Don? Well, and what what I think is that the uh, what, what you were just talking about when it comes to what's going on in our heart causing or bringing affliction to our souls... Um, it just shows you that no matter how good you are or think you are in this earth, Christ still had to pay 100% of everything. Um, and I think that that's what we'll learn when we, when we go to the other side is that, you know, in the flesh there's a billion different ways that we're attacked or we attack ourselves or we attack others or, again, like we are attacked from outside. Um, but Christ has to handle every little bit of that um, in in the end, because or when we when we're saved, because uh, I I think that brings him even more glory. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a, a crazy depth of wisdom that God has to let us deal with that in this life to see that contrast of a little like Luke, you said the little taste of of what it could be, what it should be, what, what our glorified self would be like. Um, and then for God to, in large part, step back quite a bit, you know, we would think he would be much more active or the atheist says, well, if he's really real, he'd, you know, flash a billboard in the sky every day, say, God, here I am. But, you know, we're supposed to be the visual representation of God in large part. And if, boy, if we're not doing our part, um, the world has a poor vision of God, and it's unfortunately 
a lot of that is laid at the feet of people that profess to believe in him like us. Yeah, so that is that is the ambassadorship of God's kingdom that we we have and the world doesn't see a genuine loving all things, you know. I think of it this way, like you take the most hardened hard-hearted atheist person who has a ha- deep hatred for God and thinks therefore no such being exists because it would be so evil or whatever. Um, even that person, if you gave them words like, do you believe in justice? Do you believe in, you know, self-sacrifice? Or is, is there, is there something good about loving one another? Like these type of words, right? They would say, oh yeah, you know, I love my family or, or when my pet got hurt, I cared for it. You know, it's like, like the Bible says, even the pagans know how to do these things. Um, and so the way I think about God is like he is the most pure form of everything worthy, every word that we could attach and say, you know, integrity, love, courage, like every positive word in the dictionary, he's the epitome of every single one of those things. And I think if the most hard-hearted atheists saw that, they, it would be so irresistible. That is what we're supposed to model. Unfortunately, we fall very short of that. And obviously, to the atheist mind, I'm painting with a broad brush here, so no one get offended if you're on that, that side of things. But I feel like the view that an atheist has of God is so far from that, therefore, why would they want to have anything to do with God? That makes sense. They wouldn't. If you think God is evil... <laughs> Why would you go, oh yeah, I'm going to follow you. But I think even even in our, our evilness, our hard-heartedness, if we believe that God is the epitome of all things good, um, that is, that's the most attractive thing to follow in existence. So, any other thoughts, guys? Other ways we can wrap up? I do not have anything to add. Anything to add? Thank you. All right, Don. Mr. Luke? No, I think that's it for me. All right, guys. Good discussion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a little more freestyle, freeform today, but sometimes that's where the best stuff comes out. Just bubbles out of our spirit, our heart. So, um, cool. Well, hopefully we can get Mr. Tim Bentz on in the next couple weeks. I've been trying to reach out to him, so... Tim, if you're listening, doubt it, but <laughs> I'll keep trying to reach you. Um, so we're actually going to post um, our commentary on the gatekeeping principle. We're going to post that uh, today for this episode, and then what we're discussing today, we'll probably do. We'll post that for next week, unless Tim's able to come on, and then we can kind of have that discussion as a follow up and. Uh, I was telling you guys earlier, I had a, a, a vision and an idea for getting Tim and Dr. Laura on the show together, maybe late this year or next year, to see the correlation between spiritual mapping and um, the gatekeeping principle that Tim talks about. 
I think that yeah, would that be, would be amazing. Wouldn't that be something? And if they can allow it to even carve out like maybe two, three hours, because then we can split it up into two shows. But ah, uh, wow, that would be incredible. So, and then I saw that uh, Gary Wayne had uh, responded and uh, has some dates that he's available. So. Another thing to look forward to. Definitely, yeah. So uh, hear that, listeners. If you've uh, checked out Gary Wayne, any of his stuff or books, uh, he's been on Blurry Creatures. He's been on Jed's show, Church and Other Drugs. He's been on a lot of podcasts. So uh, he has graciously offered some dates uh, for uh, for him to join us. So we're excited about that. And Doug Van Dorn as well. We're, we're still trying to um, work out a date for him. So, All right, well, with that, we will wrap up today. And um, thanks for everybody listening. And I'll just say this uh, live. I usually record this afterwards, but um, we appreciate everyone listening uh, to the Days of Noah podcast. Uh, especially, want to shout out to a lot of Jed Payne's uh, listeners at Church and Other Drugs. You guys have have come on board the last couple weeks in droves, and we appreciate that very much. So, um, don't forget to um, to share, to like, to subscribe, pass along to family and friends. And if you have any comments or questions for us for the show, um, you can reach us at the days of Noah podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we will sign off and see you next week. <laughs>